Let's take our Bibles and turn to Paul's epistle to the Romans. And I invite you, encourage you to follow along as I read, beginning in chapter 11. Don't let that shock you. Chapter 11, verse 30. And I'm going to plow on right through the chapter break and go as far as verse 8. So again, we're going to begin in chapter 11, verse 30, and go as far as chapter 12, verse 8. Hear, please, the word of the Lord. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy." For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You know it as well as I do. Uh, because we are in Christ, I'm speaking to Christians, uh, because we are in Christ, God is no longer a terrifying judge. He is a loving father. Because we are in Christ, we no longer have any reason to fear the sting of death, the terror of judgment, the torment of hell, or the wrath of God. Because we are in Christ, God's throne isn't a judgment seat. It is a mercy seat. How do we respond to our position in Christ? How do we respond to our identity in Christ? How do we respond, react to our status in Christ? To put it another way, how do we respond to the mercies of God? Acknowledging God's mercies increases our love for him. And so as we acknowledge his mercies toward us, it's like adding fuel to the fire. Our love burns brighter for him. And out of this love, we are compelled to live for him. That is Paul's main point, beginning in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so you have on the screen behind me, you have the point I've just made wonderfully summarized. The mercies of God, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, 
by the mercies of God, all of those great truths we have seen in the first 11 chapters. And on the basis of the mercies of God, who you are as a Christian in the Lord Jesus Christ, here is your reasonable response. As you respond in love, as you grow immersing yourselves in the mercies of God, your love for him is kindled, ignited, it grows. And this will be seen firstly in a consecrated body. That's verse 1. We will present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And it will be seen, secondly, in a renewed mind. We will not be conformed to this world, but we will be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Next slide, Teresa. Here it is, all summed up again. Not my words, something I read years ago, but it so adequately, uh, fully, uh, conveys what it is Paul is declaring in the first two verses. God's sovereignty in salvation by the mercies of God. God's sovereignty in salvation calls for a lifestyle of worship, reasonable worship. Paul's phrase in Romans 12:1 that involves the death of self. We die to ourselves. We become living sacrifices, that is consecration, in the interest of God-likeness. We present ourselves holy and acceptable to God. This is accomplished by a radical change in worldview. That's what we saw last Sunday, the renewal of your mind. This renewal provides the foundation for discerning the intrinsic perfection of God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, we begin to live like it. We begin to put it in practice, a consecrated body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, a transformed life beginning with a renewed mind. All of this now given to God in response to his mercy toward us. Now, here's the question. These are the two foundational pillars, right? We've got them now. A consecrated body or a living sacrifice, if you prefer, prefer and a renewed mind. The two pillars begs the question. Give me some specifics. I can't figure this out myself. What exactly will this look like in my life? As I discern the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. As I live out this living sacrifice and this, this consecrated life body, as I live out and continue to progress in terms of the renewal of my mind, how will this take shape? What is this going to look like? And beginning really in verse 3 of chapter 12, next slide, Teresa. All the way through to chapter 15, verse 7, Paul simply answers the question. He's given us the two pillars, right? We've got them. Now all he does is he builds on them. He puts this huge structure, if you like, this, this life, a renewed mind, a consecrated body, what it now looks like. And there's what he says. He says it will influence us. It will show itself, firstly, and how we relate to ourselves. Isn't that interesting? We just read it. We'll get back to it in just a moment. How we relate to ourselves. How I view myself, understand myself. It will show itself, secondly, in how I relate to my fellow believers. He's actually going to introduce that subject in verses 3 through 8, but really get into it in a series of commandments in verses 9 through 16. It will show itself in how I relate to my enemies, those who don't like me. How do I handle it? How do I respond to it? How do I get through the day? It's, he's going to show us how this relates, how this influences how we relate to our rulers. Those in authority over us. Bearing in mind, Paul wrote this in the days of Nero the Roman emperor. So when our governors aren't actually doing what we would like them to do, what do we do? How do we respond? 
How do we live? What does a consecrated body and a renewed mind look like in that context? How do we relate to unbelievers? Verses 8 through 10. How we relate to our desires. What I want. What I value. What I live for. And then lastly, in a really long section, which is fascinating on a number of levels, and we'll get there eventually, he's going to show us what a consecrated body, a renewed mind looks like in relation to opinions. When other people are wrong, because I never am. But other people, oh, God bless them, but other times they are, they're wrong. They're just wrong. And how am I to? Deal with that. What does a, what does a consecrated body and a re, renewed mind? I, I, I hope this, this has really got your interest. Because when we think of laying it all on the altar, and we think of being renewed in our minds, uh, we, we tend to think of big things, don't we? We tend to make big plans. That is not where the Apostle Paul goes. He simply stays with life. He stays with real life. He stays with stuff you and I deal with every day. And he shows us, look, if you have tasted of the mercies of God, it is going to influence how you live today, just today, in the things you're going to face, the people you're going to have to deal with, the circumstances that are going to enter into your life. He's going to show for us, to us in very great detail how the mercies of God play out. Today we begin with the first, verses 3 through 8, how we are to relate to ourselves. You can take the slides away, Teresa. There are no more. Turn with me now again to Paul's epistle to the Romans. We begin in verse 3 of chapter 12. And what I want you to do is notice four things. I want you just to hone in on four realities, if you like. And I've put these in the sermon notes for you. These constitute the sermon outline. First thing I want you to notice is this. Paul talks about right thinking. Right thinking. It's an expression he uses in verse 3. Right thinking. The phrase right thinking immediately implies what? There's such a thing as wrong thinking. Hear these words. We don't learn it. We don't acquire it. We don't develop it. We're born with it. Because it is innate, intrinsic, it spoils all our thoughts. All of them. It corrupts all our words and it tarnishes all our actions. And we cannot escape it. It's pride. It's all it is. It is love of self. Our most fundamental problem, and please understand, I'm not dismissing these things as not being problems, but these things are not our most fundamental problem. Our most fundamental problem is not poor health. Our most fundamental problem is not rebellious children or a discordant household. Our most fundamental problem is not difficult neighbors or family members. Our most fundamental problem is not broken relationships. Our most fundamental problem is not financial hardship. Our most fundamental problem is not unfulfilled dreams. Our most fundamental problem is not daunting afflictions. Our most fundamental problem is us. Our pride. Our self-love. Hear this, please. It is the first sin we put on at the fall. And it is the last sin we will take off in glory. It is the first sin, the mother of all sins, that we put on at the fall. And it is the last sin we will take off in glory. There is a wrong way of thinking. Paul knows it. And therefore the order is intentional. Yes, a consecrated body. Verse 1. Yes, a renewed mind. Verse 2. This is the starting point. Self-love. 
pride. Third verse, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Sober judgment. That's the first way in which we are to think right there in the middle of the verse. Right thinking. We are to think with sober judgment. Sobriety means what? It means exactly what you are thinking it means. Sobriety is the opposite of drunkenness. That, that is what Paul intends. We are to think with sober judgment. You see, someone who is intoxicated, someone who is drunk, has lost what? Control over his words, uh, control over his movements, his motions, his actions, even control over his thinking. And so Paul's point is this. You see, to be drunk, to be intoxicated, is to lose self-control, control of oneself. But to be sober is the opposite of drunkenness. Therefore, to exercise sober judgment is to actually exercise self-control. It is to be in control of yourself. The second description he gives of this right thinking is as follows. Not only are we to think with sober judgment, but each, here it is right at the end of verse 3, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That word measure, a little confusing. The Greek word is actually, you'll, you'll catch on to this right away when you hear it. Or maybe not down here. You would up in Canada, certainly. The word is metron. From which we get, you ever heard the word? Meters. Right? We're all into meters and kilometers and all those sorts of things north of the border. So metron is where we get our English word meter. And so he's not, he's not saying, don't think of that word there in verse 3, measure. Don't think of it in terms of uh, an amount. That's not his point. He's referring to a standard. And so each of us is to think with sober judgment, not in an intoxicated manner, but actually have control over our faculties and be sensible here. And each one is to think how, here's according to the measure, not amount, the standard of faith that God has assigned. What is the standard of faith that God has assigned? It's this book. It's the Bible. And as we read scriptures, and just stay in the context of the book of Romans. As we read the book of Romans, we get a pretty good glimpse of ourselves, don't we? Yes, we know we are created in the image of God. And there is the foundation for human dignity. Right there. We are created in the image of God. Therefore, we do have intrinsic worth. We do have intrinsic value. We are of value in our Creator's sight and estimation because we are created in His image, human dignity. But we know there's a problem. It's called human depravity. That image has been corrupted. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Romans chapter 7, beginning to end. Those are three texts, among others, in Romans 1 through 11, in which Paul gives what? The standard. He shows us who we are in and of ourselves outside of Christ. And he takes us into those dark depths, opens up our hearts, lays them bare, and shows the effects and the consequences of that pervading self-love that scars and mars each and every one of us. That's Paul's point. Right thinking at the outset. Yes, give your life. Lay it on the altar. Yes, be renewed. Be transformed in the renewal of your mind. Understand this. This will be shown. This will be evidenced first and foremost in right Thinking, thinking characterized by sober judgment and thinking that it takes place according to the standard of faith that God has assigned. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Notice as Paul builds on this idea of right thinking, sober judgment, he says secondly that it will manifest itself in relation to church unity. That's fascinating. And so we won't, we won't really, we'll, we'll never understand, we'll, we will, we'll never get it. We'll never get Grace Community Church, even if we're members here. We'll never get it, really get it, 
unless there's right thinking. We'll never understand church unity. Understand what it's about. Look what he says in the fourth verse. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So our bodies are full of joints, one bone, bone fitting into another. Ligaments, if I remember correctly, connect the bones. Tendons connect the bones to the muscles. This is how we're knit together, our physical bodies, how they're held together. It's a beautiful analogy, a perfect analogy in many ways of the church. The church is the body of Christ. There is only one body. And as a Christian, we are part of that body. And therefore, as Christians, we are knit together in that body. And all a local church is, is what? A local expression of that greater body. A group of people, Christians, those in Christ, in a certain locale, location, who gather together and are by virtue of their relationship with their risen head, Jesus Christ, whether they like it or not, one with each other in a body. If we don't have right thinking, if our thinking is not characterized by sober judgment, if we do not think according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, the standard that is his word, we'll never really grasp this, the essence of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Third thing I want us to get is this, right thinking in relation to church diversity. Same verses. For as in one body, what do we have? You got lots of members, many members, right? Fingers, hands, arms, you go through the list. And the members do not all have the same function. I mean, we don't do explain that, do we? Our hands don't do what our feet do. Our ears don't do what our mouths do. Every part, every member of the body has a different function. Verse 5, so we, here's the inference, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So yes, there is unity, one unified body. But within this body, there is wonderful, beautiful diversity. As the members of a physical body perform different functions, so too the members of Christ's body perform different functions. We do different things. We're not all the same. We're not all wired the same. We're not all gifted the same. We're not all at the same point in our journey. We have different personalities. We have different experiences. We're going through different things. There is tremendous diversity. And that verse, diversity is to be celebrated. That diversity is to be embraced. And we are to understand that in that diversity, we actually find that which is healthy and helpful for the body. Imagine if we all looked the same. Imagine if we all did the same thing. Imagine if we all came from exactly the same place. Imagine if we all had the same experiences. Imagine if your opinion on everything was exactly the same as mine. How boring would that be in the final analysis? And how unhelpful would that be for the growth of the body? Fourth point Paul makes is this. The right thinking in relation to church ministry. And so he is building. Yes, unity, diversity, and function. How this actually plays out now in terms of ministry. Verse 6. Having gifts. Where do these gifts come from? They come from our risen head, the Lord Jesus. He distributes these gifts. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 4. So having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. It's a commandment, by the way. Let us use them. And he lists seven. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. So prophecy in proportion, again, is the idea of standard. And so it is speaking forth. It is telling forth the word of God, the truth of God, and applying it. Verse 7. If service in our serving. So here he has in view those practical ministries. Or we might say, Hands-on ministries. He adds a third gift, the one who teaches in his teaching. 
So what is it to teach the Word of God? It literally is to open it up. That's what it is. It's to take something that is closed and to open it, thereby making it clear, plain for all to see. Fourth gift is what? Verse 8. Exhorting. Fascinating verb. You know what it means? It means to come alongside. We hear the word exhort and what do we think? We think of getting up in somebody's face and exhorting them, shaking them a little. It's not the meaning of the word. To exhort is to come alongside. Inherent to that is the idea of encouraging, warning, counseling, comforting. The fifth gift, still in verse 8, is what? Contributing, giving, in generosity. He's thinking of finances. Opening up our wallet and giving. The sixth gift, still in verse 8, is what? Leading, giving direction, setting an example in word and deed. And still in the eighth verse, the seventh gift is what? Doing or performing, fulfilling acts of mercy. Those who perform acts of mercy, they zero in on the abandoned, the exhausted, the rejected, the discouraged, the oppressed, the addicted, and on and on it goes. Did you get the seven? Prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, showing mercy. God imparts these and others. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's certainly a great starting point, isn't it? God imparts these gifts through Christ by the Spirit to His people to be used in the context of the church. We'll never get that without right thinking. Without right thinking, going all the way back to the third verse, thinking characterized by sober judgment, Thinking governed by the standard of faith that God has assigned to us will never really grasp church unity, what it means to be one in the body of Christ. We'll never really grasp church diversity, celebrating the differences among and within us. And we'll never really get church ministry, what it means to give ourselves in service for others. What it means, what it means, simply put, to actually see the church, let's stay with Grace Community Church, it's fitting. To actually see Grace Community Church, not as a place, not as a context, I go to see what I can get out of it. But to actually see Grace Community Church, to view Grace Community Church as the context, the local expression of the body of Christ, where God has put me and has put me for one principal reason. It is actually to use that gift, those gifts that he has given me freely of his grace for the good of others. So to actually view this thing, what's going on here, Grace Community Church, not in terms of what does it do for me, but actually what can I do for others. We will never think like that. I will never think like that unless we go all the way back to verse 3 and be very clear on the nature of right thinking. And I will never think rightly with sober judgment according to the standard of faith God has assigned to us. I will never think like that unless I'm really clear on what's going on in verses 1 and 2. What is a consecrated body? What is a renewed mind? And I'll never really get it, a consecrated body and a renewed mind, unless I'm living daily in the mercies of God. And I'll never really grasp the mercies of God if Romans 1 through 11 are still terra incognita, unknown land, territory, and not something I'm living in daily, appropriating and living by those gospel-centered truths. Do you see how it all fits together? So let me ask us. Are our lives marked by right thinking? That's the obvious question. The text begs it, doesn't it? Are our lives marked by right thinking, sober judgment? If they are, the following will be evident. Here we go. Five things. First of all, I'll personalize it. I'll speak in the first person singular for the most part anyway. 
Is my life marked by right thinking? If it is, the following will be evident. Number one, I'll think of myself with sober judgment. I will think of myself with sober judgment. J.C. Ryle writes, the sin before us is a very old one. It's the oldest. Ambition, self-esteem, self-conceit lie deep at the bottom of all men's hearts and often in the hearts where they are least expected. Do I think with right thinking? If I do, I will view myself with sober judgment. I will see that I am very weak in comparison to God's power. Very weak. I will see that I am very foolish in comparison to God's wisdom. Oh, let me count the ways. I'll see I'm very ignorant in comparison to God's knowledge. I'll see I'm very helpless in comparison to God's sovereignty. I will see I am very vile in comparison to God's holiness. And I will conclude all, we sang it earlier, all I have is Christ. Oh, my friend, that is sober judgment. That is sober judgment. That is right thinking. Here's the second result. If my life is marked by right thinking... I'll celebrate unity. I'll celebrate unity in the church, the body of Christ. To be united to Christ is to be united to the church. To be in fellowship with Christ is to be in fellowship with the church. To be committed to Christ is to be committed to the church. To esteem Christ is to esteem the church. Why do I say that? It's because Christ is the head of the body. You see, I don't get the head without the body. It's decapitation. Can't do that, my friend. You can't claim Christ without claiming his body. We cannot divorce the two. So common today. I'll speak, I'll speak plainly in case I haven't to this point. I'll speak plainly now. Uh, you know, the individual, the individual who isn't engaged, who professes faith in Christ, but isn't engaged in a local church. So the individual says, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Christ. I claim to hold to the head but I actually have very little to do with the body. I, I don't, I'm not involved. I'm not engaged. If I left tomorrow, no one would notice. I can only arrive at one conclusion in light of the text. You can take issue with me, but I think it's a very, I think it's a spot on conclusion. I, I can only conclude that that individual is intoxicated. It's the only conclusion I can make in light of the text is that that individual is not thinking rightly. That individual is not exercising sober judgment, but is actually quite drunk when it comes to their understanding of the gospel, the Christian faith, and the church, the body of Christ. Here is the second manifestation. I will embrace, I will celebrate unity. Thirdly, if I'm thinking rightly, if my life is marked by right thinking, I'll embrace diversity. We have a tendency, all of us, to think that everyone should be just like us. Uh, I heard it years ago, and I, I agree with it wholeheartedly, especially when it comes to the local church. Uh, uniformity is the bigot's dream. Understand it, my friend. Uniformity is the bigot's dream. That we all look the same. We all act the same. We all do the same. Everyone has the same viewpoint that I have, you know, especially when it comes to secondary things. Everyone sees things as I see them. Everyone should get excited about what I get excited about. Everyone should be involved in what I'm involved in. Everyone, if only everyone were like me, how, how much better this place would, would be. Oh, uniformity. Remember, we're talking about unity, not uniformity. External conformity. Uniformity is the bigot's dream. We celebrate and embrace diversity in the midst of unity. The body has multiple members doing multiple things. The fourth conclusion is this. If my life is marked by right thinking, I'll pursue ministry. That comes right out of verse 6, doesn't it? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. What does he say? Let's get busy. That's what he says. 
let us use them. It is a commandment. We are to put them in action. Doesn't matter if I get noticed. It doesn't matter if I get rewarded. Why? Using John Piper's phrase, because I am lost in self-forgetting happiness in Christ. That's beautiful. It's the essence of humility. I am lost in self-forgetting happiness in Christ. In this condition, my goal is Christ's glory and my reward is Christ's favor. Here's the fifth conclusion. Is my life marked by right thinking? Did you get the first four? If so, I'll think of myself with sober judgment. That's the first. Second, I'll celebrate unity. Third, I'll embrace diversity. Four, I'll pursue ministry. And five, here we go, to top it all off, I'll experience all of this at Grace Community Church. Isn't that the inference? I think it's plain. I will experience all of this at Grace Community Church. Are we doing, I mean, let's think of it. Think of it in terms of care groups, for example. Are we doing one of the following in the context of our care groups? Prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, showing mercy. That's why they exist. We have, we have quite a, a convoluted description of our care groups and all the objectives and goals and mission statement and all that. But you know, there, there it is pretty much right there. Just those seven words, prophesying, speaking truth into one another's lives, serving, looking out for others and ministering to one another, teaching, that is making God's word open and clear, exhorting, comforting, counseling, coming alongside, giving, whether it be financial or otherwise in terms of time, leading by word and deed, showing mercy, being vessels of compassion and mercy in one another's lives. That's our vision here at Grace Community Church for our care groups. Just, lay, just set our care groups aside. Just think larger context of Grace Community Church. Prophesying. Hmm. Publicly, I guess I'm doing that right now. You think privately. Do you have at least one relationship at Grace Community Church in which you are actively speaking God's truth into one another's lives? There's a great question. Just one. I didn't ask if you have a dozen or a hundred. I'm not asking what you're doing publicly or what I'm doing publicly. This applies to me as well, privately. Do you have at least one relationship at Grace Community Church in which you are actively speaking God's truth into each other's lives? Well, that's something to strive for, isn't it? As using our gifts in a very simple way for the edification of the body. Serving. Well, I'm so thankful when I think of this word, serving. Thankful for those who pile in here at 7.30 in the morning on a Sunday. It's quite something. Many of us can't make it here for 10.30. Some of those who get here for 7.30, yes, I, just, just, I did just say that. Those who, they managed to get in here at 7.30, eh? Okay? To prepare for worship, get the soundboard going, get the, the air conditioning or heat or whatever's necessary going on in here. So thankful for them. Cleaning up after fellowship meals. Who does that? Serving at the memorial service yesterday for Ms. Helen. And those who provided that food. Serving at the Reformation, Chris acknowledged this earlier publicly, we can acknowledge it again. Serving at the Reformation Day celebration last Sunday, marvelous. Here we go, serving at the Thanksgiving dinner next Sunday. There you go, Brian, there's an announcement, if there's ever been an announcement. Serving at the Thanksgiving dinner next Sunday. How's that going to happen? By itself? We serve, we get involved. I am extremely thankful. I mean, if you look at Grace Commission, all the things that get fixed around here all the time, the things that just kind of get done, I'm not, I'm not even sure how it happens sometimes. But uh, the people who are serving, hands-on ministry, involved, engaged, these things are happening all the time. How thankful I am for the servants among us here at Grace Community Church. I am exceedingly thankful, and to my shame, I probably don't say it enough, so here it is very publicly. How thankful I am for that man, that woman, who just looks around for what needs to be done, does it, and you never even realize they did it. No mess, no bother, just where can I serve, and they serve. 
beautiful. It's wonderful. Here we go. Extended session. You knew it was coming. If you didn't, you were sleeping. Extended session. What a wonderful opportunity to serve others. Exercise right thinking. Sober judgment. Looking out for others. Teaching. There's the third gift. Public going on right now. Private. Our Sunday school teachers preparing during the week. I mean, many of these guys, especially, I mean, many of the, the women as well, they got three, four, five, six kids at home. They got busy weeks. Guys putting in their 40, 50, 60 hour work week, still finding time to prepare, still showing up here on a Sunday morning and instructing these children in the essentials of the faith. Good News Club, there's another announcement. It went out this morning. It's gone from 35 to 75. Who's going to go? Who's going to teach these kids? Just however simply we can. Who's just going to sit with them? These children and all their problems and issues and misbehaving and goings on that happen. Who's going to sit with them? Be an example. Try to bring some crowd control. Try to live out Christ in word and deed before them. That is teaching. Are you mentoring someone? If you've been a Christian more than five years, I just put that out there, somewhat ambiguous. Let's just go even go with 10 years. If you've been a Christian more than 10 years, uh, are you mentoring someone right now actively? If not, why not? Who's going to do that? Uh, do you actually meet with someone and try to bring a little sanity to their lives through the Word of God and be instructed by them? It's reciprocal and pray together and work through things together. Exhorting the next gift. Oh, it includes encouraging, warning, counseling, comforting. Again, I am exceedingly thankful for Grace Community Church. Even personally, the number of notes, cards, emails I get. And I can only imagine what goes out and is shared among people. Do you know who's sick? Do we know who's sick today at Grace Community Church? Do we notice who hasn't been here for a while? Do we make it our business to find out? It's not being nosy. Part of the same body. It's a body. You're one. Yes, members, diversity, but there is unity. Here's a good one. Do we make it our chief business on a Wednesday evening when we don't feel like going out to go anyway with the explicit objective to encourage someone else? It was Wednesday night. It's care group. It's not, fel you know, it's not the meal night or you'd be there. It's the study night. Or even worse, it's the last Wednesday of the night, the men's studies, the women's studies. Well, I've had a long day and I don't really, don't feel like going. Easier to stay home. Here's the question, and I've, I'm there. I get there, don't misunderstand me. Here's the question I always ask myself, okay, to get just in the right frame of mind, right thinking. Okay, this is a gathering. This is what's going on. I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like it. Here's the question I ask myself. Okay, if I go, it's not about what I get out of it. It's not about how I leave, how I'm feeling when I leave it. Here's the issue. Is there going to be someone there tonight? I can actually, in some small way, come alongside and counsel or comfort or encourage. That's it. Whenever I do that, you know what happens? My outlook completely changes. It is, I promise you, revolutionary. It's not me going. It's about me. It's not. It's about other people. And what can, I, what can be my very simple objective tonight as I go, as I engage, as I attend Sunday school, or I do this, or I go to that? Uh, one person I know of, needs, I'm aware of, what can I do? What can I say as I go tonight to actually come alongside? The next gift, contributing. Are we generous? Praise God. I mean, I sent out that email. When was that? Back in the summer about the Benevolence Fund. Do you remember getting that email? And, the, and the, well, the Benevolence Fund, there's no problem with the Benevolence Fund right now, believe you me. And the way we're able to minister to those in need here at Grace Community Church. Here's the sad, here's the sad truth. You, never, we ne you, you really never know about it, do you, as a congregation? Because 95% of it is private. It's not for you to know. Right? There's usually just a few who know, have hands-on. It's not something to be made public. 
but how this money is used for surgeries, medical expenses, house repairs, buying groceries. Please understand, it is happening all the time. And oh, these contributions that are made and how we're able to help others financially is a tremendous testimony and encouragement. I'm so thankful for God for what he, how he stirs and moves people's hearts here at Grace Community Church. The sixth is what? Leading. Here we go. Men, are we applying what we studied on Wednesday evenings this past year? It was all about leadership. And so are we living out the Christian faith before others? In such a way that adorns our doctrine. Do we possess? This is a good question. Do, do I possess any responsibility at Grace Community Church that forces me to be here at a certain time on a certain day, whether I feel like it or not? That's a good question. That's leadership. Elders, deacons, care group leaders, Sunday school teachers. Are we going through the motions? Or do we, as Paul says in our text, lead with zeal? Zeal for God's glory. Zeal for God's people. Zeal for God's truth. And here's the seventh gift, showing mercy. Are we cheerful in helping others? Praise God. We've got a Guatemala trip coming up, don't we? I think there's 15 or 16 going. Just to spend a week with some kids in Guatemala. Tremendous blessing. VOM trip coming up going to box and package stuff. It's kind of mindless labor. Pardon me for saying so, but it's kind of mindless labor. It is, but it's stuff that needs to be done. And it's stuff that then goes out, mailed to different places in the world, serving the persecuted church, health clinic. Praise God. I think it was about, it was a couple dozen that were here two weeks ago for the health clinic right there in the foyer. And all the literature was out there and how the doctors and nurses and other volunteers are coming in and ministering to these people, their physical needs. Now a women's clinic. You got the email this past week, didn't you? The email wasn't just, hey, here's what we're doing. The point of the email was what? Here's how you can come and get involved. Here's how you can show mercy. Here's how you can demonstrate compassion. The benevolence fund, I mentioned it already. Deacons ministry and the many things they do around here. Are we other focused? I praise God we are. And I pray it increases and we abound in it even more as we live in the mercies of God that we then become vehicles of mercy, meeting the spiritual and material needs of others. Let me encourage you. I, I pray I have as I've gone through that list. Let me encourage you. I am, we're not a perfect church. Shock anybody? <laughs> we're not a perfect church. We never will be a perfect church, but, but I praise God, we're a growing church where the grace and the mercy of God are clearly evident, and, and I am thankful. I don't take it for granted, and we never want to presume on this, but even as I look back on our relatively short history, how thankful I am for the way in which God is working among his people, these gifts so wonderfully distributed among within the people of God. And I pray you're encouraged. And I pray you're encouraged to persevere. I pray you're especially encouraged to persevere when you don't see the fruit necessarily. You don't see the reward. I pray you persevere, especially when you just don't feel like it, when it would be much easier to do something else. Oh, be encouraged that God has put you in a local expression of the body of Christ. Yes, he has put you here for your good, but here's how you're actually to look at it. He's put you here for the good of others. He's put you here to use you in the lives of others. As you exercise your gifts, as I exercise my gifts in very practical, meaningful, hands-on ways, let me challenge you again in case you need it. Maybe there's one or two that do, that do need the challenge. The challenge, I stated it earlier, here it is again. If, if we aren't thinking like this, if we are not exercising sober judgment, there is only one conclusion we can arrive at, is that we are intoxicated. There's something not quite fitting together in our thinking. We might be saying the right words. 
But if, but if I'm actually not, don't think of myself with sober judgment, if I'm not celebrating unity, embracing diversity, pursuing ministry, and actively, however imperfectly, pursuing these things in the context of a local church, it means that somewhere along the line, the wires are disconnected. I'm saying this pastorally, but it might be to challenge one or two of you, that there's something, that the elevator just isn't quite, it's just sort of stopping between floors. Something isn't quite right in the thinking. Oh, how we need to see what it is to have a, present a consecrated body, what it means to possess a renewed mind, what that actually looks like in life, and how all of this flows naturally from what? The gospel. The mercies of God that I have tasted. I have tasted and sipped, drank to my full of that grace and mercy of God so wonderfully provided for me in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads to what? It leads to reasonable worship, a living sacrifice, the renewal of my mind, which then manifests itself in what? Sober judgment, which shows, shows itself in what? That I really get it when it comes to church unity, church diversity, and church ministry. So if I don't get those three, you got to work backwards. And you need to understand that something is broken in that sequence of thinking. Something isn't quite, the connectors aren't, something's loose. And I encourage you, I exhort you to go back and re-examine and weigh these things in the light of this text in particular. Here it is. Let me sum everything up in six statements. Here we go. How it all fits together. I savor God's mercies in Christ. That's the starting point. Never lose sight of it. Everything builds on that. I savor God's mercies in Christ. Number two, I treasure, therefore, God's glory above all things. Right? We have that wonderful description of his glory at the end of chapter 11. I treasure God's glory above all things. Number three, I'm compelled, therefore, to present a consecrated body. And pursue a renewed mind. Makes sense. Number four, these lead to right thinking. Sober judgment. Building, number five, this right thinking is seen in how I use God's gifts. And then number six, what is the result? Paul's point in these verses. I give myself away for others. And I do so willingly, generously. Cheerfully and faithfully. Our God in glory above. We pray now that you might take your word. The truths and lessons. Points of application. That we have considered together in your presence. And that you would grant us understanding in all things. We pray that we would test. We would discern what is your good perfect, complete will, and that our lives might be brought into conformity with it. We ask it for your glory. We ask it for the furtherance of your kingdom. We ask it for the good of your people right here at Grace Community Church. And we seek it from you in that name, which is above all names, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.